0: Welcome back to Box to Box WSL. I'm Alex Ibacete, your host, and as usual, I'm joined today by Jesse Parker Humphreys and Abdul Abdullah. Abdullah. And today we have a special guest for the episode, the Arsenal expert and presenter of Arsenal Woman ArsCAD podcast, also known as the only Arsenal Woman podcast there is in the world. (laughs) And we have Tim Stillman for today's episode. How are you, Tim?
1: Yeah, not too bad. Thank you. Much better after Friday evening.
0: Yeah, I imagine probably a good Saturday morning to wake up to. Absolutely. Well, we'll jump right into it. And The reason why we have Tim here today is after yesterday's... Arsenal versus Manchester United match in the WSL. And just for a recap, last night Arsenal managed a 2 0 win over Manchester United women at Borehamwood. Leo Williamson was unavailable due to injury, a rarity, and with Jen Be and Victoria Schneiderbach also out, that forced Leo Valti to play as a centre back next to Lawrence Moy And the midfield was composed of Kim Little, Daniela van der Donk, and Jill Ward. Now, Manchester United started with a very, very strong attacking lineup with Kristen Press, Lauren James and Elatum up top and Lucy standing for the Shaki Grunin and Katie Zellum in the midfield. That is a very heavy, heavy attacking lineup when you have Hayley Ladd on the bench, for example. And I was driving when the lineups came out and I got to Borehamwood. What the hell? Leah Williamson isn't playing at the moment. And I promise you, this is, you can tell I'm an Arsenal fan, but I promise you, I almost drove back home because I did not want to witness what was about to happen at Warrenwood. Tim, what
1: were your initial thoughts when you saw the sign up come out? Um, so my initial thoughts, I, I kind of knew that Leah had, was carrying uh, something. I think she's been carrying that for a couple of weeks, actually. Um, when Arsenal played Villa recently, she didn't go in at half time. She stayed out with the fitness coach. So I, I think she's been carrying that a little while. Um, so I wasn't enormously surprised not to see her play, but I thought that um, if she didn't, that Anna Patton might play at centre half. And so initially, I thought, because I was quite confident before the game, and then I saw that lineup and I thought, mm, maybe I'm less confident now. But then I kind of thought about it and I thought, well, actually, having Leah Volti at the back is quite helpful in that she's very press resistant and when Arsenal um when Arsenal played Manchester United last time they really couldn't get around that press so I was I kind of I taught myself round with that and I taught myself around having Kim in a deeper position the, the thing that worried me though was leaving Jordan Nobbs out and I'm still not sure I quite understand that because I think she's one of Arsenal's best players and yeah, I, I was worried about that because I think she's quite press resistant as well, and just gives us a bit of a bit of variety in midfield. So without Leah and Jordan, I must admit my confidence went down a notch. Um, I have to say
0: it, it definitely hit, and it is true. You know, when you have no centre backs and you have another healthy centre back that plays that has played with Lottie before as well, you, you kind of expected Patton to go into the middle, and you definitely I thought. I would have expected Jordan to to go into the midfield instead of Dan. Um, mm. We asked Joe after after the match what the thought process was when picking those middle three. And he picked Kim because of the composure, because of how she dictates the tempo. And you, you saw that a lot yesterday. And he picked Jill because she knows how to play off a Viv. So I think they wanted that fluidity in the midfield leaving Caitlin Ford out on the wing where I think she is a bit more effective for Arsenal at least because for Australia she is a very central striker and then you, you kind of had the option between Daniela van de Donk and Jordan Nobbs and he went for Daniela van der Donk and I think that wasn't the first choice for a lot of people just because of the form that Jordan Nobbs is in especially. But Jesse, you know, Arsenal started really, really bright. They got the goal in the opening three minutes, even though it was deflected. It was a really good goal. Caitlin Ford pressed, Vivian Mirama got the ball back, gave it to Caitlin, up to Joe Ward, and she got the cross in which deflected, unfortunately, off Amy Turney into the goal. But after those three minutes, United gained control of the tempo, and you didn't really see Arsenal attack as much. You saw United kind of control the attack and was always putting Arsenal on the back foot. Jesse, what are your takeaways there?
2: Yeah, I mean, it was the ideal start for Arsenal really, wasn't it? And given some of the luck that side has had in these big, in inverted commas games, it was probably uh, deserved across the season to to kind of get that deflection. But, it felt like it basically just allowed Arsenal to kind of sit back and be like, we're going to keep our shape. We're, I thought it was really interesting how much Zinsberger was just choosing to kick long. Arsenal weren't really bothering to try and play out from the back. They were quite happy for United to have the ball. And, you know, United were really impressive in the build-up play, I would say, because it felt like they had lots of players who were kind of winning those individual battles. Lauren James and Ana Batier. Did I say it right, Alex? (laughs) (laughs) We're really, uh, really really impressive. Um, But, you know, there was great footwork, clever movement, good passing, but it just felt still like lots of these players hadn't actually played together that much. You know, there was kind of Lucy Staniforth in the midfield. She was only making her second start of the season. Press has been out with injury a lot. James has been out with injury a lot. And you could kind of tell that that final ball that connection between those kind of front players just wasn't really there like there's that moment where press plays the ball out wide to tune and she crosses it in and Lauren James is literally like standing there waiting like shaping up to shoot from a really good position and like press kind of comes in and and takes that shot off her from a much worse angle and it just all of that kind of felt like United didn't really have enough of the fluidity to make the most of the the ball, that it was almost like Arsenal were letting them have.
0: Yeah, yeah, you definitely, yeah, saw, you definitely that saw that. And I mean, that. Shout, shout out to, to Ona Batia. I, I thought she was, she was oh, alongside, alongside Lauren James, Mailly. Mailly. they dominated that left wing. They played really well. Ona Batia we did really well against Vivian Mita, who is almost twice her size. Lauren James obviously bouncing off players as we saw with Daniel van der Donk. But... Manchester United finished the match with 62% of possession. And Tim, you mentioned on your Twitter earlier, this is the first time that Arsenal have less than 40% possession under Joe Montemurro. And obviously, mm. you know, with Beth Mead getting that that second yellow and the red card in the 63rd minute, that obviously had a bit of influence on that. But in all, honestly, it did seem like United had the better fluidity of of passing over Arsenal. You know, there was sparks of it, but it wasn't as consistent as you know you usually see in an Arsenal squad.
1: Tim, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it was interesting actually, because even before the red card at half time, I think it was 61 39 in the possession states. And I mean, I, I put with some confidence that it's never been below 40. I'm not even sure it's ever been below 50 under Joe, even like those defeats against Chelsea you look that usually Chelsea have less of the ball and uh, it, it was really interesting it was really un-Arsenal I'm, I'm still not sure how much of it was planned and how much of it was game state and really kind of as an Arsenal fan obviously I mean Arsenal got the result with a deflected goal and a set piece and with less possession which is probably the most un-Joe <laughs> way to win a game I've ever seen and you can look at that in two ways you can look at it and say well, actually, did Arsenal just not play that well? Did they plan for it? I can come on to the set pieces later. They definitely planned that. Um, or did they did they compromise um, a little bit? And if so, how you know how would you feel about that as an Arsenal fan? Because on one hand, you kind of look at how they've been doing in these big games and you think they need to compromise a bit. And is, is that an admission of defeat on the manager's part that he doesn't think they can play out? against these teams or is it is it just a pragmatic decision of right I'm sick of us getting beaten this way so you know let's go long let's try and exit via the full backs, you know let's work on corners and set pieces because that's a weakness of the opposition so I th- I thought it was really really interesting I also thought that it was quite I was really surprised to see Lauren James on the wing I thought she might start as in that kind of false nine role with press wide of her and, uh, and and as you say, we sat behind the dugout and I could see in the first minute, I don't know if you saw it, but um, straight away, Joe said, to, I think to Katie McCabe, just because she was the closest player, Lauren is pressing right on our fullback over there. And yeah, so I think he, that surprised us. He, sent, Arsenal.
0: he sent Dan out on that wing also. He's like, keep an eye out, let Katie know, and push Dan out further to the wing to help out with Lauren James.
1: Yeah, which suggests to me, understandably, that that they weren't expecting that. So there, there were some elements. I. I think what United missed this time that they really had in the game in November was Ella, Ella Toon was behind the front three as a fourth attacker. So every time Arsenal tried to get out, she was really there to pen Arsenal in. Whereas this time she was out wide and they didn't quite, Katie Zellum, Jackie Vernon, like they they don't quite do that job in the same way that Ella Toon does. And, and I, th- I think basically it's just as simple as this time United had a front three instead of a front four. And that probably helped Arsenal.
0: Yeah. When also what interests me a lot about the long balls was that in the first half, I found that whenever Leovalti Valti or, or Lotte got the ball, they didn't have a lot of options in the midfield. So they were forced to go to the fullbacks or just send it long wide and hoping that Caitlin or Viv or Beth would get on to the end of it. And in the second half, it kind of corrected that, but I, I, I did wonder whether it was just because Kim Little was so used to playing a bit higher, because Joe word and Dan kind of stayed a lot higher than, than Kim also. But Leo Valti, there was a mistake. That um that shot where Kristen Press missed, where it was supposed to go to Lauren James. It was Leo Valti had to step up, try to carry the ball because she had no options in the mid. And Shakira got the best of it and that could have ended in a goal. But it is it is true about the long balls, about how, you know, maybe Arsenal planned for this. Um, and perhaps it didn't go as planned, essentially, because, you know, Lauren James did do really well in that wing. And, and I thought she played quite well with Kristen. Um, but I don't think Kristen got the deliveries that she wanted. Also, there there's a few frustrated shouts in the middle of the game towards her, her players saying, go forward, go forward. You know, she's asking for the ball. Even if she has a player behind her, she's asking for the ball. She wants it. And a lot of the times United would go back and, and kind of settle for that. But looking on to the, the rest of the season, yes, this was a huge win for Arsenal in the race for the Champions League. Arsenal still have to win that game against West Ham, but if they do, they're leveled with United and the goal difference is a lot better at Arsenal. The attitude that we saw yesterday at Arsenal seems to me that they are really determined to get that Champions League spot and it's looking good. But Tim, how confident are you feeling about getting that third place spot?
1: I'm. I am reasonably confident now. I think um, I, Everton. I think are the are the kingmakers here because I think both teams have to go to Everton away, and um, that that looks like on paper the most difficult game for both teams. Um, but albeit both teams have dropped points this season, well against Reading actually, both of them dropped points you wouldn't expect them to drop. I, I do think Arsenal now that like the games are a bit more regular they've got a little bit of momentum back they're much more comfortable in these games Arsenal they always have been um you know that's why the goal difference is so much better than United's because they don't generally just turn up and beat those teams one or two nil they beat them four five nil they beat them very comfortably but yeah I do think that injuries um again just hoping that they don't crop up um and and hoping that we don't get another game like Reading I, I also think I just fancy that United are going to drop some more points as well, actually. Like I, I think that, I think they've peaked. Um, they peaked um, maybe November, December, which is not to say they've become a bad team, but I think that was their peak. I think the press has dropped a little bit and obviously they've got injuries. And as an Arsenal fan, I was really delighted to hear Casey Stoney having a go at the referee afterwards. Um, I, I don't really think she had a lot of cause to, to be honest. Um But that, to me, just that just suggests a little bit that she might be a bit rattled um, because I I, honestly, if I was a United fan, that wouldn't have been my takeaway um, from the game. So to to kind of hear her say that, that I I don't know, that just suggests to me that United know that they're on the ropes a little bit here. But but we'll see um, in the next few weeks.
2: Well, with the ref stuff as well, it's just bizarre when ultimately United got to play with a player up and... You know, you can argue the, the merits of whether the first yellow was yellow or not, but it's a bit strange for an opposition manager to be ragging on the ref when you still had that player advantage for half of an hour and managed to make nothing of it. So,
1: Yeah, I think it was United had 13,000 no yellows and Arsenal had twelve thousand four yellows. Now, obviously, the number of fouls doesn't tell you about the severity, but I, I think, honestly, it was a bitty competitive game. I, d- I don't think there was that much difference. Um, between the kind yeah. of niggly fouls, so you no, know, I, 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 yeah,
0: it was because we did ask Casey in the post-match press conference as well about the ref. I kind of I got the guts to ask her about it um, and, and asked her bluntly. I was like, "Are you are you calling the ref out for something that she's she did wrong to your side, or are you calling the ref out in general?" And the answer she gave was, I think it is telling because she started off saying that there was fouls on both sides, but then she started focusing on how. Lauren James got the most fouls out of the game. And whether that might be true, um, it seems like at halftime, Casey Stoney did, you know, go up to the refs and start complaining about the, the hits on Lauren James. And to be fair, Lauren James was fouled a lot. And that's just, I think that's just done because she is really good with the ball and the only way to get mm-hmm. her is to foul her. But Casey did go to the ref at halftime. And it seemed like at halftime, the ref was like, okay, okay, whoever fouls her next will get
1: carded. And unfortunately for Beth, that was her. Yeah. And uh, yeah, the, the merits of the first yellow card might be debatable. But when you're on a yellow card and you make a, a challenge like that, that's that's silly. You're asking for it. So, um, yeah, like I, I have no complaints about the second Beth Mead yellow at all. I mean, I mean, I don't have an awful lot of complaints about the ref anyway, um, to be honest. So, yeah, that, yeah I just thought crazy. it was a bit of a nunnity. Really,
0: from an Arsenal perspective, you can't you can't really argue the yellow is that. We got it was they were most of it was warranted, but the one thing that you can argue is that how United didn't get any yellows when Arsenal got what was it for I mean, easily a lot of United players could have gotten at least one yellow. Um, especially, you know, Elitude chokeholded Caitlin Ford at one point and Martha Harris on our side was could have could have warranted at least one yellow at times. But it was I think that's the argument. The argument isn't against United or Arsenal, it's just Casey Stoney arguing that the ref was so bad when in reality, I thought most of the calls were in her favor at that. Yeah, yeah. And as Jesse mentioned, you know, there's only so much that you can complain about when you have 30 minutes of the game left and you're a man up and you still don't do anything. Um, but moving on from the ref, um, Abdullah, from you, from a tactical perspective, where did it go right for Arsenal? Where did it go wrong for United?
3: And I, I, you know, I think... I actually feel a little bit ba- uh, bad for United. I, I thought they played. I mean, I saw. I saw the basically it was 60, 70 minutes of the game, and I thought United were the better team for you know large portions of at least the first half and you know uh, and bits of the second half. I think where the where the problem lies. I actually think Austin got better once they went down to 10 men, not not for anything other than that. Just United just couldn't break them down. And I think, like Tim was saying earlier, I, you know, I, I think. I don't know if this you know, how much of this was planned by Arsenal, but I think giving the ball to United in a position where they're they're not comfortable having the ball, like having that much possession. I think you know they're they're a team that prefers to play a little bit on the counter attack. They've got the players for it, um, and I think giving them the ball kind of made them feel a little bit uncomfortable. And I don't know how often I remember them having to be in a situation where they're where they're going into. If, Against the team that's just sitting back against them completely, uh, especially in the big games. I mean, forget the small games, the, the big game. So it's always teams coming on to them, not the other way around. And I felt that that not being not being in those situations more often, I think they weren't sure how to almost weren't sure how to score. I think Arsenal. And I think there was a little bit of compromise on Arsenal's point where, okay, we've got some injuries, you know, Lea Williamson's isn't playing our best ball playing, centre-back's not there. Um, You know, we're a man down now. We've been losing the big games. Uh, I think a combination of all of that has also led to that compromise where they were like, okay, we're going to have two banks of four. We're going to make it really difficult for teams to get to us. And whether we get them on a counter-attack or whether we get them to a set piece in that case, or, you know, and they got us to a deflected goal, I think, that's where it was. And I just don't think there was enough penetration from Arsenal's part. Uh, Staniforth is a good player. Maybe in that 10 role in, in this game, she's a, you know, Maybe didn't work, but I think they were just missing that that creative spark that Arsenal had in like a Kim Little who can kind of sit in front of the defense, press resistant as ever. She, I mean, there were so many moments I saw that she was she taking the ball in dangerous areas and just was just able to just kind of outrun Jessica Sigsworth with the ball and, and kind of get it away, you know, get it away and, and relieve the pressure. So I think I think I think United missed that sort of like creative presence mm-hmm. in, in, in their half and who could just kind of give those final balls to Press and, and, and James. And I thought James was brilliant at left wing. It was a almost like a stroke of genius tactically, her kind of driving inside pulling everybody across and you have the overlap open. Um, and then Santa Claus kind of running into that space. Uh, I think also, you know, we're caught off guard. And I was surprised when she was taken off. I thought Christian Press didn't have a great game. I thought she should have been taken off, but I think, yeah, it's basically down to creativity and it's, it's United just not being in this position more, more, more often and, and not getting used to it. And Tim, last question for you before we wrap up the
0: wrap up this section, you know, this game, at least for me, it was not what I expected. I wasn't expecting. Nice. I wasn't expecting a two-nil scoreline. I wasn't expecting Beth Mead to get a red card. I was expecting a lot, a closer match at that. If anything, it was going to be a draw in my head. I was expecting a lot, a lot of a tighter, more possession-based Arsenal. I was expecting a lot more attacking from United. Was this a game you expected? And and it essentially. From, I'm assuming, what would be an unexpected game, what were your biggest takeaways?
1: So it wasn't. um, And I still wonder how much scoring in the first five minutes of each half dictated that. Had the game stayed nil-nil for 20 to 30 minutes or so, I do wonder if it would have settled into that pattern of... Arsenal trying to break United down and United trying to press Arsenal, but the early goal in both halves kind of changed things. So it, it really wasn't the game I was expecting. I was expecting Arsenal, you know, I was expecting Arsenal to do what Arsenal do, and United to do what United do. And, and whoever did their style the best would would win out. I, I think the biggest takeaway from me though, that I thought I kind of, I guess I wanted to talk about, I've written a piece about this, was Arsenal's corners in this game. Now, United have been really bad at defending set pieces all season. City scored uh, from corners in both games against them. Reading scored twice from corners against them. Arsenal had six corners, I about I, I think it's about 40% of corners under Joe Montemorro are taken short. Arsenal put all six of them into the six-yard area. And even right on half time, Arsenal had a free kick like dead central, about 35 yards out. And the first thing they did was they they put it out wide because they wanted to put a cross in the box. That was Again, not
0: planned in the entire game.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah. And um and actually that was and that was when Kim uh, burst past. I can't remember if it's Jackie Gernan. Um, because they wanted, to, they wanted to turn it into a corner, essentially. And uh, they had two routines, one where Beth would go to the front post for Miedema to flick on and United have conceded goals that way. And the other one was Katie to go to the back post to Lotta and Moy. And uh, I watched all these corners back and United didn't deal with a single one of them effectively. And what was really striking was that actually United's positioning it's not that their defenders were out of position or anything. It's just they literally don't have anyone tall enough to head the ball away. And Mary Earps is is not that tall for a goalkeeper either. So we just Arsenal just kept putting the ball either front post or back post and and United couldn't get it clear. And yeah, I I think when Arsenal are pumping balls into your six yard box, Joe Montemorro's Arsenal, you've got a problem there. And that's, um, that's something I really, I, I always thought that Casey Stoney would make a great coach. And I still think she is a great coach and will be a better coach. I did not expect for a Casey Stoney team to have this kind of oversight where they don't have a centre half who, or a goalkeeper who can head a ball away and I think it's going to be a recurring problem for them um, because teams are just going to keep every time they get a set piece they're just going to stick it under their crossbar um, and I wonder if uh, Maria Torres-Dotir will come in um, perhaps, perhaps even at right back because they had Martha Harris at right back who is tiny, um, frankly, and they, they just couldn't deal with those aerial balls. And as an Arsenal fan, it was really nice to see Arsenal try to exploit that, even though it's not their typical style. And, and for United, I think that's a big problem going forward.
2: Yeah, I really that- don't understand that. I assumed when Torres Dottier was brought in that, that that's exactly what what she was going to be there for. And then when you look at Katie Zellum trying, who's like 5'3", trying to defend against Lotta Woodmore, who's 5'8", whereas Maria Torres Dottier is 5'7". So you're like, but why have you just left this this really tall defender on, on the bench basically. I I don't understand what Casey Stoney was thinking that at all.
0: Yeah, it's when you saw you saw the photo of of Katie Zellum trying to vote for a header for Lotton Women Woman Moy. I don't even think Katie Zellum jumped at that. She's she's pretty much halfway down Lot's body um, and during that header. But it is interesting. And on that note, we'll wrap up the section because We'll continue to do that another time on the pod. Thank you, Tim, for coming on. Everyone, make sure you're following Tim Stoneman on Twitter and check out his Arsenal Women ArsBlog Blogs podcast for everything Arsenal Women content. The best place that you can possibly go to for all that. Thanks again, Tim.
1: My absolute pleasure. Thank you.
0: Chelsea beat Everton 3-0 on Wednesday. Fran Kirby scored What's new? And Chelsea continued their habit of fast starts, winning a penalty for a handball in just the second minute, but without Marin Meralde, Melino Lopez stepped up to take it and it was saved brilliantly in the low bottom corner from Tinja Rica Corpela. Now it didn't take long for Chelsea to to make that up though. In the 14th minute, Frank Kirby scored again and the rest is history. Chelsea's first goal came from a brilliant press from Preneo Harder on Izzy Christiansen, who then try to try to release the ball out but it, it deflected off of locals and it landed on G's path who brilliantly just first time volleyed the ball over to Sam Kerr who Sam Kerr again brilliantly first time the ball out to Frank Kirby and behind the Everton defense and then Frank Kirby just did what she did best accelerated into space and 1v1 with the keeper she's never gonna miss that and at the start of the second half, Everton did put Chelsea under pressure with Clara Music, looking particularly threatening. But in the 16th minute, a brilliant, absolutely brilliant chef's kiss, amazing. Be- you know that Lady Gaga meme? Amazing, beautiful. That was named Charles's pass down the wing. <laughs> it allowed Chelsea to counterattack quickly and the three musketeers of Kirby, Harder, Kurt combined again for his second goal. Very similar to, to the goals against Bristol City and the Conti Cup final, where it was that time it was Jesse Fleming out to Kerr, out to Kirby, out to Guru Wright. And, and just like that, boom, 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 goal. Um, from there, it felt like a, a procession with Poles making amends from early in the tap-in for the third. Jesse, you probably have a lot more thoughts than I do on this game. What, what, what did you think?
2: Yeah, I mean, it felt fairly routine for Chelsea when they missed the early penalty. I did think, oh gosh, is this like going to be a wobble? Because obviously, Everton did knock them out of what was last season's FA Cup that was played this season. But it, it, it felt, you know, pretty simple, really. Everton looked very disorganised. The, the movement of kind of Kirby Kerr and Harder was just way too quick for them. It felt like Everton had used up all their defensive concentration on their Man City, Man City game. And they'd got to this one and they were just like, I can't do it anymore. So, yeah, it just felt like a useful adjustment for Chelsea to life without Maren Mielder. That is, that is
0: a pretty fair uh, description of it. For anyone who missed it, Marin Melde unfortunately, is missing the rest of the season with a bad knee injury that she had to get surgery for. Although it seems it wasn't an ACL, luckily, it looks like she will be back for preseason um, next season. And, you know, going back on those goals, in three touches, Chelsea managed to get Kirby on goal just like that. And it came from regaining possession in their own defensive half. You're netting the first goal of the game, especially when you compare this to a team like Arsenal and Man City, who are comfortable with having more possession of the ball, who are comfortable with playing out through the center back, switching the pitches, going back to the keeper, going to center back, to center back, to fullback, center back. Chelsea don't like that as much. They're, they're, their first choice in pass whenever they regain possession is to go forward. And in the second goal, it started from Millie Bright out to Neem Charles who again brilliantly put that ball down the wing for Sam Kerr Sam Kerr to Fran Kirby Fra- Fran Kirby to penal harder and that was a goal and again in four passes from the defensive line Chelsea were on goal and scored Abdullah would you say that this is one of Chelsea's biggest strengths with the players that they have at the moment
3: yeah what i like about what i like about this Chelsea side is if they want to play in a more shorter build, you know, less direct style, they have the players to do so. You've got Melanie Loypoles and G, who are excellent ball players and both are capable of playing, you know, quick build-up passes. But then at the same time, they've got this fantastically built squad of like high quality players playing this direct style of football, but it's almost a very aesthetic direct style of football. Like you said, it's two, three, four passes, and then they're scoring goals. And I think they've perfected this direct style where they're one of the very few, if not probably the only top team in Europe who's playing a direct style. And it's it's actually working for them very, very effectively to the point where they're obviously top of the WSL. They're through the quarterfinals of the Champions League, and they've been doing this since last season. And I think... It's telling when you can get players like Sam Kerr, Melanie Leupold, and and, and players like this to join, to, you know, to at Pernilla Harder to join the side who have played in teams who maybe have had a little bit of a different style of play, but they've been able to slot in so seamlessly into a different style. It's almost as if they were made for this system, you know? And I think that's testament to both the recruitment strategy and I think Hayes' ability to be able to mold players who are used to different systems and get them settled into, into, a, into a different style of play and make them actually and without shoehorning them in actually make them fit in so I think to me that's it's a huge strength for Chelsea to be able to just switch on and off and I mean I was looking at their build-up play throughout that game and Ericsson and Billy Bright will pass between. they have no problem keeping it there if there's no if there's no outlet for them to go forward Uh, and they'll try and get it out to, to one of the fullbacks and then they'll come back but then the minute one of the midfielders or one of the forwards start shifting across and moving players out of position, they'll throw a diagonal across out to to the, you know, to the wings. And I think that diagonal from the center back to the wingers or the fullbacks is key for them. And I think that that and then that's where we saw Neem Charles take the ball, beautiful pass down the wing. And then they just get into the cross and, and they score. And I think I I think Harder, I think has been I mean I think people have talked about this before. she's been a little bit underrated I think this season to some extent her off the ball movement i think has been brilliant and i think that's partly one of the reasons why they've been so effective in the final third
0: yeah and and you mentioned there that it is you don't see a chelsea style of play in a lot of a lot of teams in women's football at the moment especially in europe every team has has a very different style of play you know arsenal more possession best, based city i think are a mix of both Chelsea and Arsenal when it comes to ball keeping but also being aggressive on those dad and I I just find it really telling especially when you when you see the the um the Arsenal versus Chelsea match you see Arsenal being a bit boxed with with Chelsea who are so good at attacking that can get on goal in three four passes no problem whatsoever but Jesse you know, now that, that we compare Chelsea to, to a lot of other a lot of other teams in women's football at the moment, after this week, after this win, after everything that you've seen so far, and after last week's pod where you were still PTSD from that last time out, does this 3-0 win make you more confident going into the match against Wolfsburg?
2: Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting because I thought Chelsea were very good and they basically played with a diamond midfield and Kerr and Kirby as the front two in this game. And I think this is Chelsea's best formation when they've then got harder as like the the tip of that midfield. But my worry is, especially with Mielda out and Charles coming in at this fullback, is that it's quite a narrow formation. And I worry that against a better side, it's going to leave Neve Charles exposed. And in the kind of first 15 minutes of the second half, when it felt like maybe Everton were coming back a bit more into the game. That was where Claire Emsley was getting a lot of joy, like on that left-hand side. And, you know, Aaron Cuthbert was having like a bit of a tendency to pull in. So I'll be intrigued to see whether Emma Hayes does go back into the 4-3-3 that Chelsea have also played, just to give Neve Charles a bit more protection if if she's in that right-back role, because that is my one concern. But the problem is, is I think that sacrifices some of, how quickly Chelsea can build up the ball, and I think playing that four three three involves moving players out of their best position. So I think it's going to be an interesting choice for her when when we get to that game on.
3: And I think and I think you've got the option of playing Hannah Blundell, you know, that uh, fullback. I mean that if you want if you want to play this four four two diamond or even a four two three one you know where you've got the players who playing and, and they're basically the best positions you could play Hannah Blundell who's more of a natural fullback who has the you know the positioning and the and the inclination to stay out a little bit wider and then kind of protect the, the fullback I mean she's fresh I mean she's come off she got the injury this season she's I mean she, she's not had too many games she's looked okay but I think maybe a run of games could to, to good do good for her you know and then and, and that could you know could solve a few problems and just you know I I would like to see. Hannah Blum will be a chance at right back as well.
2: Yeah, it's interesting as well, because I think, you know, actually, Jonat Anson and Maren Mielder are a lot less attacking than other fullbacks we see at, at top sides, particularly in the WSL. But because Charles is, is kind of like a converted winger at this point, you see her getting involved, you know, as we saw in the Everton game, you know, two of those goals come from Charles putting, you know, really positive balls over the top. Um, and she is always going to push forward. So I do think as well that's where maybe actually Hannah Blundell fits more with the way Chelsea play normally, in having a slightly more reserved, a slightly more defensive role, and and not looking to get forward, in the way that we normally see. Callbacks at at top teams do, but the flip side of that is whether Emma Hayes is like great. I've got a converted winger who has the you know defensive capabilities, and maybe that's something that's not something I can add to the team that maybe we didn't have before. So,
0: Jesse, I'm just going to ask you one last question on this because we won't be able to do a a pre Women's Champions League pod just after. Give us your ideal starting eleven against Wolfsburg.
2: I think it's tricky. I think it depends on whether Sophie Ingle is back from injury. But I I do think the Everton lineup so Berger, Bright, and Erickson, Charles and Anderson, and then having Loipoltz at the base, G and Cuthbert, and then Kirby and Kerr. I, I do like that a lot with with harder as the ten. The only my only. Th- thing is is potentially preferably at Wolfsburg with this being you know a two-legged tie if Sophie Ingle's back whether you just go a bit more defensive and have like ingle and Lloyd Pops as a double pivot I think that's maybe what I'd probably prefer to see and maybe drop out aaron Cuthbert as a result
0: abdullah same question to you what is your idea lineup
3: <laughs> oh I really enjoyed this 442 diamond like uh like like Jesse said I think it's to me I think it's uh it it suits the players that they have it's it's definitely chelsea's best lineup when they
0: have that in the middle it's the things that you see from (coughs) perennial Kerr and and kirby is
3: outstanding don't because it it, kind of allows the three of them to use the width of the pitch across the front front areas because there's nobody over there's nobody there to kind of clash with them so they've got all the space to move around having said that so i think burger bright uh, Erickson, uh Anderson, and I want to give Hannah Blundell a chance here just just to keep it a little bit conservative just on the right side. So I'll say Hannah Blundell on the right side. In midfield, I agree. I'd play Sophie Engel and Melody as well. Again, I, I think just see, it's a two-legged tie. You don't want to be, you know, goals down if if anything, if, if you know, Wolfsburg aren't to be underestimated. So I'd play uh, those two there, and alongside G, just to give you that driving presence, Panila Hada at the tip of the um, at the tip of the diamond, and then I would go Fran Kirby, Sam Kerr, just to kind of uh, you know you've got the best two pairings there. Now, also the question is just to double check is whether Sophie Ingle is actually back from her suspension. I mean it's injury as well, but whether the suspension is there or not, we have to check. But, okay, if she is available, you know, after that suspension, I would play her. Otherwise, the team writes itself with G. Aaron Cuthbert and uh, Loic and then you know, Aaron gives you so much energy, so much pressing, you know, from from where she plays that she doesn't even need to contribute in an attacking sense. She can just be like this pressing midfielder, and you're totally fine. So that's probably what my team would be.
0: Yeah, I think I think there is a general agreement that yeah, the four four two with the diamond in the middle is it's definitely Chelsea's best lineup. And it, as you said, Adela, it does extract I think every player's strengths. You know, having Kerr and Kirby as central strikers, as wide strikers. I think that that complements them really well and it gives them ability to, to go out into space on the width and give space in the middle for a for Harder, for a Gora Wrighton, for example, for a G, for a Melanie Lopols to, to go up. But that is our preferred starting 11 against against Wolfsburg. But there is a disclaimer that we are not entirely sure whether the cards are wiped to start the quarterfinals because Sylvie Ingle did get a red card against Atletico Madrid but sometimes in these tournaments when you start the quarterfinals semifinals and final cards are wiped from the previous rounds so we will put a disclaimer when we tweet out this episode she served a a one game
2: suspension so I Mm -hmm. guess it just depends on how long those suspensions are I'm not sure
0: whether it's two games. They always hide all of these things. <laughs> it's all very <laughs> confusing. <fascinating. laughs> but we'll, we'll leave it at that and, and we'll see what happens with the Chelsea against Wolfsburg, who is being played on Wednesday. And I'm pretty sure you can watch that on BT Sport for those who are watching from the UK. And we'll move on. You know, I think this is a topic that's not really talked about a lot. You know, we talk a lot about the title race. We talk a lot about the Champions League race. But this relegation battle that we have in the WSL is just as exciting, if not, honestly, even more exciting than than the top four at the moment. West Ham 2-2 against Birmingham City, a huge late equalizer for Birmingham City. A very important point that Birmingham salvaged in injury time from a Ruby Mace ex-Arsenal Academy player. Bristol City also lost the same night to Man City 3-0. This left West Ham tied at the bottom of the table with Bristol City at nine points, and Birmingham are just three points and two spots ahead of West Ham with Aston Villa in the mix as well. Since Ollie Harder came into West Ham and Matt Beard left, they have been winless in all five league matches so far and have failed to get a shot on target before this match against Brighton and Chelsea. Abdullah, what have been your observations on West Ham since Matt
3: Beard left and Ollie Harder came in? Well, I think on the face of it, they've been playing, I think, a little bit better. I felt like when, when Matt Beard was there, it was I felt like they just ran out of ideas. I think whatever he tried, it was just more like, all right, it was just kind of more of the same kind of every game. They were just like, OK, we'll just try it again. We'll just try it again. There were a few changes to the lineups, obviously, um, but they just didn't seem to work out. And I felt like that relationship just kind of ran its course. You know, I, I think West Ham were in dire need of fresh ideas and somebody else to come in and look at it from a different perspective perspective. So I think obviously the change has has done them a little bit of a little bit better. Now whether they can get out of the relegation, you know, spot and, and kind of survive the season, I have no idea. But um but yeah I, I mean I would just say that the change has been good and obviously we we don't want to see manager sack mid season or even at all. But um I think in this case it was it was needed.
0: And Jesse, was this scoreline more telling of West Ham's poor form? or Birmingham's impressive fight to stay in the WSL, especially after being saved by points per game last year?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think Birmingham have been really, really impressive season. I think Carl Ward's done an amazing job in a very tough situation. And I think what was interesting kind of watching these two teams is that Oli Harder obviously wants to create this kind of slick passing side who are going to press a lot more but doesn't really feel like he's got the players to do it you know that this Harder side they're completing less passes than they were under Matt Beard they're pressing a lot more but their completion rate of that is down as well so it feels like Harder's asking his players to do lots of things that they just can't really do but then funnily enough Birmingham almost have those players who kind of suit the system more you know when you're looking at someone like Ruby Mays out of the Arsenal Academy they've got Emily Murphy out of the Chelsea Academy they've got Jamie Lee Napier, who's also online from Chelsea, that actually when I was watching this game, I was like, this Birmingham side are almost better set up to, to do this. And you could kind of see it's cliche but you could see how much it, it meant to them. And it feels like this Birmingham side had just West Ham just have this habit of they just switch off at the end of the games. You know, it was true under Matt Beard as well. When they played Brighton early in the season, West Ham totally dominated for about 80 minutes and they just switched off and Rihanna Jarrett school and Brighton win 1-0. And it it just feels like this team, for whatever reason can't go the the distance and my concern for West Ham would be is that when Ollie Harder came in he moved like players on you know Alicia Lehman was gone to Everton on loan Cho's gone to Tottenham on loan that's a bit weird because they, they were kind of like relegation rivals as well so now you've got injuries so they've got Mackenzie Arnold out they've got Adriana Leon out and you've got these players where it feels like Oh, like for Leon example, it'd be like really useful to have like a really tricky winger. Oh wait, we had one, but we gave her to Everton. I just don't really get what the decision making process was meant to be there. And it makes me worry about West Ham. And I think it's really interesting as well, because obviously Matt Beard's now at Bristol, uh, whilst um Tanya Oxley's on maternity leave. And I thought it was really interesting that he basically, for that Man City game, just rested a load of players because he knew they were going to really struggle to get a result to put everything on. They've got Tottenham tomorrow on Sunday. And I think that narrative is just delicious, really. You know, Matt Beard left West Ham and now he basically has the opportunity to lead Bristol out of that relegation zone and possibly down You can't read it. Down <laughs> Gorgeous Narrative Everywhere
0: It's, it's absolutely The headlines At the end of the season Are going to be Absolutely tasty You know I just want to I just want to Encourage people To, to watch this Relegation battle Because it is So entertaining You know When it is And maybe it is A bit cliche Jesse that we're, that we're talking About the passion Of these players But I mean You know When you're watching The football It's not going to be To the standard Of Arsenal Of, of Chelsea But these players Are A lot of them Are young As Jesse mentioned You know Birmingham have a lot Of young players From the Chelsea Academy for example But they're good players They just need to develop and when you ask any other WSL coach about Carla Ward and what she's doing at Birmingham, the praise she gets, everyone says that she's doing amazing with what she has, because her resources aren't that high, you know, the money that she has to recruit players isn't that great. So she's doing really well with the team that she has at the moment. And just to give everyone a heads up, Birmingham play Bristol City next week. That's going to be a really good game to watch. And then later in April, we have West Ham versus Aston Villa. Aston Villa versus Bristol City. It's going to be a month to focus on that relegation battle. You're going to see probably some of the best games that you've seen in in a long time. But that's it for the pod for today. We hope that you enjoyed this episode of box to box WSL and make sure you're following our official Twitter account because we decided to make that as of recently. It's Cell <laughs> on Twitter. Uh, keep up to date with all information and updates about the pod. You can see each of our individual handles in the description of the podcast as well. <laughs> we'll see you on our next podcast. Thank you, everybody. Goodbye.
3: Goodbye. Thank you very much.